Amen. Thank you, band, for leading us in the ministry of music to the throne room of Christ. It's a good place to be, my friends, because uh, that is what we're made to do, is to worship, to give our hearts to the Lord and lay down our lives, cast our crowns before Him. So this is kind of just practice in that. And uh, hopefully as we practice, we uh, let that materialize into real life. So um, I've got a question for you this morning. What do you think of when you, when you think of, of mystery? Are, are there any mysteries in life that, that you ponder as you drive down the road of life and just have questions about? There, there are all kinds of mysteries in the world, aren't there? Uh, you may look uh, into the vast, the stars, all the space, the galaxies, and everything in between. And as we gaze, as our best scientists gaze out into the universe, there is still so much mystery out there. As much as we know, every time we learn something, there's something new uh, that we don't know. There's a lot of mystery. There are a lot of questions. Maybe uh, uh, on a little more of a downer side, you know, a, a case, a crime case that never got cracked. There's a mystery. Who did it? How is it done? Where are they now? That kind of a thing. We kind of get pulled into those mysteries. A mystery novel will, will, will drive someone all the way to the end of that novel. You'll spend hours and hours turning hundreds of pages uh, just to try to get to the end of the mystery. We're made to look at mystery, to embrace mystery, but to try to solve mysteries as well. Maybe in your life something has happened and you just can't explain it any other way. You know, people say, well, I was in a car accident and, and they said I should have been dead, but I wasn't. And here I am. And it's just a mystery. God protected me. He had his angels over me or however we try to explain those things. There's a lot of mysteries in life, aren't there? A lot of questions that still we don't have the answers to. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the word mystery at least seven times. And in the reading today, we see the word mystery four times. Paul is into this mystery business. Now, he talks about a mystery and a mystery that was revealed to him, a mystery that has been revealed in his life, a mystery that's been revealed through Christ. And he kind of builds up, what is this mystery? Well, what do you think that mystery might be? Well, before we get there, we need to set the stage because context matters. The stage matters. The backdrop matters significantly. You change the backdrop and it changes how you understand what you're actually looking at. So I want to invite you to imagine, just imagine kind of an old man sitting in a chair, okay? Can you, can you just imagine an old man sitting in a chair? Think about an old man sitting in a chair, okay? Maybe it looks like this right here. There's an old man sitting in a chair, right? Anybody recognize that guy? Okay, so if you, if you take the backdrop and you change it, you, you get something that could look like this. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Or maybe something that looks a little more like this. A little Bob Ross painting. And then my favorite one of all is this one right here. The good old UFC Bernie Sanders armbar. 
So the backdrop matters, right? What we're focusing on changes when the background is different. So before Paul just kind of comes out and reveals this ministry, uh, mystery, what is the backdrop? What's the, what, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about how God, the creator of the world, has chosen a group of people. And at the time, it seemed to be kind of a very select, exclusive group of people that was built around this guy by the name of Abraham. And God's vision and design was that he was going to bless this particular group. He was adopting this group. They were going to be his special children. And the way that that he blessed them and the way they treated one another, the entire world would look and would realize and see that because of the way this group is, that there is a God in heaven and that this God created the world and he wants them to live in a certain way. And this particular way of God's design is that he would uh, tie to this group of people uh, a piece of land called the promised land that he gave to them as an inheritance and that he would give them this temple. And in this temple, certain people could come in, but, but outsiders kind of had to stay out. Those who weren't in the family, the Jewish family had to stay out. And it was tied to certain practices and rituals like circumcision and, and the reading of the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. This was the backdrop. It was, it was everything behind how Paul understood this guy named Jesus who came onto the scene. And that backdrop seemed to be pretty set for Paul. Who, until one day, while he was walking on a road to a town called Damascus to persecute these followers of Christ... He runs into the risen Jesus. And his life was forever changed after that. He runs into Christ. He goes blind for three days. Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And for three days, Paul has his own death and then, of course, resurrection experience. And he's told to go to a man named Ananias. And Ananias is praying one day and God says to Ananias, hey, this guy named Saul's coming to you. I want you to pray over him, lay hands on him and pray for him. And Ananias says, God, this, this is a bad dude. Doesn't he round up and kill Christians? I don't want anything to do with this guy. And God says to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We see from the very beginning God's choosing of Paul. Saul, who then becomes Paul. God's claim on his life. And now in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is giving an account for why he is so willing to go to such great lengths of suffering even to be under house arrest, chained to a a Roman soldier. Why he would be willing to give up even his very life for the cause of this gospel. Proclaiming this mystery that was worth suffering for and even dying for. 
What could this mystery be? We see it in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the, the outsiders, the original outsiders, those who weren't of the family of Abraham, the non-Jews, the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. They are members of the same group, the same body. And they're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news. That, that somehow in the backdrop of the way that it was all set up for Paul and for many of the Jews of his day, the fact that, that not only were the gates open for all persons who have faith in Christ to come in and be a part of God's family and God's inheritance, but that it was actually God's plan from the very beginning. And it was hidden throughout the ages until the right time came in Christ. Mystery revealed. Paul's message is that in Christ there is really a new form of unity, a new way of gathering around. No longer do they gather around being Abraham's biological descendants. No longer do they gather around uh, the physical temple in Jerusalem. There's a new gathering, a new form of unity. You know, we sometimes may hear talk of unity today. We might hear that in our nation right now as we have the change of presidents and, and just what is unity, right? It's a good question. A basketball team can be united. They can be united together, uh, working as a team, uh, working toward a common goal of hopefully winning. That's a form of unity. A political party could be united, united in certain ways of thinking and being and doing. A nation, to some degree, can be united, though that might be a little tested right now in our nation. But the primary question for us as God's church, the primary question for us is not so much what are we united around, but it's who are we united around. It's a unity that comes first and primarily in our unity in the worship of Jesus Christ. The one who came into this world, God himself, who gave himself up on a cross, was put into the ground and was raised three days later to put on display the power of God over all evil, sin, and death. That's the unity. That's the beginning point of the unity of the church. Paul says in verse 12, he says, This Jesus is the one in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. And the old way of life to have access to God was to be able to get closer and closer to the temple and the Gentiles had to stay on the outside. But now, because of Jesus, we, through faith, have access to Christ. You have access to Him through faith in Him. This is really the one final everlasting form of unity all unity that will be around the throne of jesus or not around the throne of jesus that's that's really at the end of the day that's the final dividing line 
those who cast their crowns before him and those who do not. The book of Revelation, the last book of our Bible, shows again and again and again this scene of worship where all of creation is gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb next to the throne representing Jesus and the Spirit of God and all of creation worshiping Him. That's the final gathering. And that's the unity toward which God calls people. He doesn't call us to be united on a lot of other things, but there's no negotiating here. We will either cast our crowns before Christ or we will not. At the end of the day, it's that simple. This is the mystery revealed, the revelation of Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Last week we talked about having a high ecclesiology. That's a fancy theological term for our understanding of what the church is. Not just First Methodist Church, but the church that Jesus Christ gave birth to. And a high ecclesiology means that we understand that Christ has created in himself a new community, a new people. That we didn't just make this church bit up, but that we are responding to something that God has already created and made. Are we perfect? No. Do we do it right every time? Not at all. But we still are a people who are created by Jesus himself. A new humanity created in him. Well, this week, we add to that high ecclesiology another word that's a little fancy called eschatology. Eschatology is simply a theological word that talks about the end of things, the end of time, where all things are going, uh, the direction that we are pointed in. That is the stuff of eschatology. Eschatology is to be the ultimate backdrop of our lives. It's the backdrop upon which everything else should get placed. What does your life look like in light of God's final victory where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Does your life currently line up with that reality? Those are the questions we must ask ourselves. Like Paul, when we ask ourselves that question, we might find that God is calling us to give something up. For Paul, the calling was to give up everything. Comfort, convenience, career, relationships, even his own freedom. And Paul was willing to give it. In the same way, God's going to call you and me to give certain things up. Maybe comfort, definitely comfort, definitely convenience. Maybe some freedom, maybe to give up other things. Possessions. The things that can buy possessions. Like Paul, God is calling us to be stewards of this gospel. We've been entrusted with a good message. It's part of what it means to be the church. Is that we remember who God is. We remember His gospel, and by the way that we live our lives 
that gets lived out in such a way that people see us and they give glory to God. What it means, and we're going to get into this more in the next few weeks, it means that we begin to live as new creation right now. That in Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation. That God has done something new in you. It means I don't just have to fix myself. It means I learn to live in my new humanity. There's a lot of freedom in that. To know and to believe God has made me new. And I just have to live out of that newness. That new creation that will stand before Him someday around the throne. That new creation that was born with Christ in His resurrection. What that means is that we don't follow every passion. We don't follow every whim. We don't just do whatever we want to do. That's the ways of the world, the passions of the flesh. What it means is that our thoughts, our actions, and our words are in accordance with this new creation, this new humanity. It means that we will find ourselves speaking and thinking in ways that might be different than just the regular old ways of the world. That we become an alternative community in the midst of a world that, at best, is simply trying to build the greatest human efforts. Like Paul, we are called to be stewards of this grace. A steward is one who receives. A steward is also one who shares. What backdrop do you have in your life? What are you going for? What's your eschatology? What's your end game? And is that in line with what God is doing? Is that in line with the promise of Christ to renew all things?